Well, Mike didn't tell me where he was going or why he wasn't at church this week. And after I got here, I found out Jed is also not at church this week, and nobody really knows why. And then they said, yeah, attendance is maybe a little down this week, and we're not really sure why. And then they said, this is the town where the horror movie Children of the Corn was filmed. And then I looked around the audience and saw all the young people, and frankly, I feel alarmed. I have... <laughs> I've tried to be as friendly as I can to all the young people, and I'm just hoping we make it out alive today. Okay. Well, this morning, we are going to talk about intentional community, and I want us to try a little exercise here. This may be a little uncomfortable, but it's okay. We're all friends here. So I want to ask everybody to stand up, and there's three parts to this exercise. You have to just... This is, this is not the first part. This is part zero. Part zero is stand up. Okay. Step one, open your arms wide like you're welcoming Jesus, okay? And now, step two, wrap them around someone. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, I didn't, I didn't say stop. <laughs> it's really nice. Okay, step three, let go. Thanks. <laughs> okay, that's it. Now, maybe that was a little awkward, but it was good for you. Did you know that when you hug someone, there's something that happens in the body that God created for you and me. When you hug someone, there's a special hormone that's released called oxytocin. And this is the same hormone that's released when a mother holds her little baby. Both the baby and the mother have an increase in oxytocin. And oxytocin makes us feel calm, it makes us feel relaxed, it relieves stress, and we know a lot of illnesses are caused by stress, and so lowering our stress level is a really good thing for, for our health. Now, here's the other cool thing. If you don't like hugging people, you can hug your dog, because science has shown that when you hug your dog, when you pet your dog, both you and your dog also have an increase in oxytocin. So when your dog comes, dog doesn't always just want food. Dog wants to be petted because it feels really good and relieves a lot of stress, right? We also know that when babies are not held, when they're not cuddled, when they're in situations where they have neglectful parents, some of those babies can actually languish and die from not being held enough, from not being cuddled enough. We actually need that for our physical health. Now, I think that uh, just as people need physical contact, I see a lot of hugging still going on. That's awesome. I think that just as people need physical contact in order to be mentally and psychologically healthy, I think as Christians, we also need to be in contact with one another in intentional community if we want to be spiritually healthy. I think it's not healthy for us to try to have an individual spirituality that's separated from other people. We need to be in community with other believers. And... Um, you know, what are some of the benefits of that? The first scripture I'd like to look at today is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. So Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Now, for the children of the corn here today, uh, this is your time to get out your phones and pretend like you're looking up scripture, but get your games started and do your Facebook and all that stuff. Church in the 21st century is so much better for young people. Okay. 
Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. So why should I want to be part of community? Number one, I want to be part of community because it's more productive to work together with someone else. We get more done when we work together. Uh, The writer goes on to say, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. I want to be part of community because there's going to be times when we all have crises, when we have problems, and we're going to need other people to help us through those problems in our life. Uh, Next he says, also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And so I, I see this as comfort, as companionship, as uh, not being lonely. And maybe we could look at it just as a necessity of life to be together with other people. Uh, the last thing he says is, although one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And so there are going to be times when we may even be attacked by other people or you know, some dangers out in the world. And we need the protection of being part of a community. And so I think that the writer of Ecclesiastes has given us four very good reasons why we should want to be part of a community. It makes us more productive. We help each other through crises. We give comfort and companionship. And we protect one another from dangers that we may experience in the world. Now, you can apply all those to the spiritual life as well and to spiritual dangers that we may face. Well, I gave you today this silly instruction of three steps of how to give a hug. And actually, that's going to be the outline for the comments that I have for you today. I think each of those three steps describes something that could be involved in building intentional community. Opening our arms, wrapping them around someone, and then letting them go. And so I hope that'll be a memory device for you to remember the three main points that I want to make today about how to create intentional community. So the first step we looked at is opening our arms. And I'm using this as a metaphor for making ourselves vulnerable. When you open your arms, you're not protecting yourself. You're making yourself vulnerable. Now, if I just walk around like this, I can't hug people. I'm just bumping into people, right? That's just rude. But when I open my arms, then I can hug the other person. And that is a nice thing to do. And so I think sometimes, though, living our lives, when we go to school, when we go to work, Even when we come to church, we're kind of like people who are protecting ourselves, hiding, defending ourselves, and we're just kind of bumping into each other. We're not really opening ourselves up and welcoming others in. Um, And so we go throughout our lives not really connecting very well with other people, and then we're surprised when someone who we thought was our friend, a lifelong friend, Somehow, uh, maybe there's marital problems, and we find out that couple's getting divorced, and we didn't even know they were having problems because they were protecting themselves, and maybe we were protecting ourselves, and we never really knew what was going on in that person's life. And so if we go through life with this kind of a posture, we're never going to be able to have intentional community. Opening your arms is a risky thing. It makes you vulnerable. Somebody could punch you in the gut if you open your arms. Um, you tell someone else about your marital problems, and they spread it all over the church and all over the community. And uh, so that's like a punch in the gut. But until you open up and share with somebody else, they may not open up and share with you. Now, over the years, uh, I have learned to be more transparent and more vulnerable with my students at the college and with people in the church who I talk to. So one of the struggles that I've had over the years is a lot of anxiety and issues with depression. 
And so that's something that I've sought help with spiritually and have sought help with at a physical level by taking medication and uh, psychologically by going to see a Christian counselor. And all of that has been really helpful to me to manage those issues. When I started opening up and sharing that with people, uh, I found that privately students and coworkers and people from the church would come and talk to me or would email me and talk about similar issues that they were having. None of them, uh, I think, would have opened up, or few of them would have opened up if I had not opened up first. And so that first step is an important step, make ourselves vulnerable. Let's look in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 4. Let's see how the early church made themselves vulnerable. Acts 4, 32 through 35. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So one of the ways the early church opened its arms to the community, made itself vulnerable, was that people actually gave their possessions away. They actually sold surplus land, and they gave that money to the needy, and they just welcomed the needy into the church. Um, so this is a, in, in a period of time when people's land is their livelihood. And I'm sure that for many of you, that's the case here in Iowa as well. But when you, the land is the livelihood, they're not only selling their current livelihood, they're selling their children's and grandchildren's future inheritance. And they're just making themselves completely vulnerable in this. Now, some people took advantage of that. If you go on in the book of Acts, you'll read about Ananias and Sapphira who told lies about how much they were giving and, and they were struck dead as a result of that. So people are taking advantage of this in the church. I have no doubt that there were some needy people who came to the church just to get food and money and things like that and abused that gift that was being given. There's other people who are coming for impure motives. And as we read it through the book of Acts, we read that the church was severely persecuted. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Stephen, one of the leaders in the church, was killed by the Jews and stoned. Um, Acts 8, 1 through 3. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. So how were they able to find the church members and persecute them? They made themselves vulnerable. Everybody in the city knew who the Christians were. They made themselves vulnerable. They didn't hide who they were or what they were doing. And so as a result, when they got persecuted, all of them got scattered, except for the apostles. Uh, that church was broken up as a result of that. So it looks like this strategy of opening our arms wide, making ourselves vulnerable, it looks like it ended badly for the early church. And so maybe we should protect ourselves, and we shouldn't make ourselves vulnerable. But this isn't the end of the story. It goes on. Remember the second step of hugging. After we open our arms wide, make ourselves vulnerable, the second step is to wrap your arms around someone else. And so I'm using that as a metaphor for comforting and protecting someone else. Comforting and protecting someone else. You can try hugging yourself. Maybe you want to try it right now. Mm, that feels good. 
but not as good as hugging somebody else, right? So it's better to hug others. But so many of us try to comfort and protect ourselves. We spend time reading the Bible on our own. We pray on our own. We journal on our own. That's all great, but we need to do those things in community as well. What happens if I'm having some kind of problem in life? I look for a self-help book, right? Because I want to help myself through this problem. I don't look for a group help book. I don't turn to other people. I want to just try and privately solve the problem on my own. But you know, when we solve all of our problems on our own, uh, it's hard for God to get the glory for that, isn't it? We just look to other people like we don't have any problems. We've never had any problems. And whenever something comes up for us, we quietly solve it on our own, and nobody even knew that was a problem. How does God get any glory out of that? But when people know that the problem is there and we minister to each other, then God gets the glory when that problem is dealt with. And uh, with this metaphor of a hug, when you hug somebody, you have to think not just about yourself, but about them and what they want. It is a hot July day. And it's so hot sometimes, we don't want to be touched. I remember growing up, we didn't have air conditioning. And, you know, sometimes my sister's arm would just brush against me. And I'm like, ooh, it's too hot to touch. We kept saying, it's too hot to touch. Don't touch. Don't touch. I don't want to be touched. If somebody's hot, you don't touch them. You don't hug them. You don't hold them. What if, what if I had broken ribs, you know, or you had broken ribs? Then i got to be careful when I hug you, right? I like having my back popped. I used to go to the chiropractor and have the chiropractor just crunch my back, and it felt great. And so I thought to myself, well, I'm a doctor, and my son's back looks kind of crunchy. He's 14 years old. And so I gave my son a great big bear hug and crack, 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 crack. You know, his back popped in like three places. I was like, oh, that's so great. I'm going to keep on doing that. And so every time I hugged him, I would hug him really hard. And he had this great crunchy back and it was a lot of fun. And he would say, oh, dad, don't do that. And I would say, no, but I'm a doctor. It's okay. I can do that, you know. Um, but finally I asked him, I mean, I, th- I thought it felt good. It would feel good. But I asked him, do you like it? And he was like, well, a little bit. I was like, really? He was like, no, it hurts. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, so I should stop doing that then, all right? I hugged him the way I wanted to be hugged, not the way he wanted to be hugged, okay? And so when we wrap our arms around someone to protect them, to comfort them, we have to think not only about ourselves and what we want or what we think we would want in their situation. We have to find out actually what they want, what they need. I learned early on, or not early enough in marriage, but I learned that when my wife starts talking to me about some kind of an issue in life, she usually doesn't need me to solve the problem for her. She's already, she's pretty smart. She already knows how to solve the problem, but she wants to talk about the problem and maybe through the stages of her thinking. And and even talking about it helps her form a solution to the problem. And so what I needed to realize as a husband is What she needs from me right now is for me to listen to her. She does not need for me to solve the problem for her, right? And so we have to be sensitive to other people and what they need, provide for what they actually need and ask for, not what we think we want to give them. Now, for the early church, one of the most surprising people they had to embrace was Saul, the persecutor, the guy we just read about who's trying to destroy the church. Well, this guy goes through a conversion experience, a miraculous conversion experience. He meets Jesus. Probably no one could convert this guy. No human being could do this. But Jesus himself intervenes. And Saul, the persecutor, is converted. And then the church has this problem. What are we going to do with this guy? 
we don't trust him. And he stirs up problems everywhere he goes for the church. Uh, so what should we do? And so one of the things we see then uh, in Acts chapter 9, verses 19 through 31, we see what happens when Paul um, encounters the early church. So after he was converted, he went to Damascus. It says, uh, starting in verse 19, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? And yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Okay, so they're taking care of his needs for physical safety here. Let's find a clever way to get him out of the city. So then he goes to Jerusalem to the church, and they have to make this decision to welcome him in. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. So it took this one guy, Barnabas. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, to the leadership. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but then they tried to kill him. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus, where he could be safe. So the church is ministering to Paul in the way that he needs. They're, Saul, who changes his name to Paul, they're providing safe refuge for him, and they're providing a way for him to escape and go on to the next church and to do his ministry there. They're thinking about what this guy needs. Now, the third step of uh, giving somebody a hug is maybe the hardest or the easiest, depending on who you're hugging, but letting them go is a hard part of intentional community. At some point, when you hug somebody, you have to let them go. And if you don't, that's called kidnapping, and that makes you a creeper. So don't do it. Okay, do not hold people down. Maybe it's okay in wrestling, but not in real life. Okay. So in the same way, in a healthy, intentional community of the church or of the family even, we don't hold people in this community forever. Instead, the, the community needs to be able to empower the people in it and then send them out to do whatever God has for them to do out in the world. Sometimes we talk about raising children. And I think instead of talking about raising children, Maybe we should refer to raising adults. I don't want to raise. I have three children. I don't want to raise a child. I don't want my young people who I'm in charge of in my life and ministering to, I don't want them to be 30 and 40 years old and still children. I'm not raising children. I'm raising adults. I want them to be responsible, grow into responsible young adults. And so I want to rejoice when I see them able to take more responsibility, able to have more independence, able to do things on their own. That's a cause for rejoicing, not a cause for sadness. Now, of course, as parents, you know, it's wistful as we see them moving on to the next stage. But this is what we're working for, to raise these responsible young adults. And so we need to be happy about that. Now, in the same way, we're going to find in the church 
that sometimes someone comes, they join us for a while, we love on them, we bless them, but then life calls them in a different direction. They're going to move away. They may decide to attend a different church. Maybe there's another church that's actually able to provide for some needs that they have or some knowledge that they need or some experience they need. Maybe another church, even on the other side of town, turns out to be a better fit for them. We want to be able to bless people, send them out with our blessing, and enable them to go on and do the things that God has for them to do. And that's exactly what the church, the early church, did for the Apostle Paul. If we flip over to Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Paul has been to Damascus and stirred things up there. He's been to Jerusalem and stirred things up there. They sent him on to Tarsus. And now we find him in the church at Antioch. And so in chapter 13, verse 1, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And they give us a list of those, and it includes Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting at that church, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, you know, no doubt, the rest of the story. Paul's going to go on multiple missionary journeys. He's going to plant churches all around the eastern Mediterranean and into Greece and Macedonia, uh, being the, one of the first to take the church into Europe. Um, and so the church, as a result of their willingness to let go of Paul and to send him out, they gained the greatest missionary the church has ever known, and because of his missionary experiences and the issues that came up in those churches, he wrote letters to them inspired by God that are still in our Bible today. And so he became one of the greatest scripture writers we have. He wrote a good chunk of the New Testament for us. And I have to say that Paul's writings are probably, for me, my favorite part of the Bible. And what's been most helpful to me in my faith is to read the stuff that he wrote. Now, can you imagine if the early church had not opened its arms and welcomed this former persecutor in, if they had not embraced him and provided what he needed, and if they had not been willing to send him out, look at what they would have lost. Now, you remember back at the beginning of the story, the early church made themselves vulnerable by selling their land and their possessions to help the needy, and now they themselves don't have as much as they might need. And we find out later in the Scripture that in fact, there was a famine in Israel that hit the church of Jerusalem very hard. And so Paul went to the churches that he had preached at, the churches that he had helped start, and he encouraged those churches to take up supplies to send back to Jerusalem to help the church that had initially sent him out. And so intentional community at times feels like we're giving and giving and giving of ourselves and perhaps getting nothing back in return. But oftentimes there comes a crisis in our life, a time in our life when we actually need help and we find that the church is there for us. My wife and I have recently had a situation like that. Um, we started off managing our finances very, very carefully, but we had a day when the door of our stove fell off. She was baking cookies or something. She opens the door to the stove, and the, do store, the stove door just falls off on the floor. And so we both looked at it. We laughed. And then we priced stoves and stopped laughing. And um, we couldn't pay for that new stove, and so that went on the credit card. And before, that was the first of many stove door incidents throughout our lives. And we have had a, you know, a number of different financial struggles ever since then. Uh, so a lot of car problems, all sorts of things like that. So about six months ago, I decided I'm going to supplement our income. 
I am going to start a little used book business. I'm going to buy cheap books at the thrift store, and then I'm going to sell them on Amazon and, you know, generate a little extra income for us. And so I learned how to do that. I spent a long time doing research. I figured out how to turn a little profit. And in the end, after six months of intense work, I had $1,000 to show for that. Okay, you're underwhelmed, right? Because you know, I mean, maybe the kids think $1,000 is a lot, but six months of work, I was making far less than minimum wage doing this thing. And I had to make the painful decision this week to just decide, okay, even though this is turning a little profit for us each month, I cannot invest this amount of time in this. It's taken away from too many other important areas of life. So I had to just stop this business. I... Uh, had been talking with our missions minister about life and just what all's going on. Uh, and then I got a call from him yesterday afternoon. He said, I talked, I, I know that you mentioned that the transmission has gone out in your car. And I want to let you know, I talked to the benevolence committee. We're going to give you $1,000 to fix the transmission on your car. And I was so shocked and so humbled. I think there's any number of people who need that help worse than we do. So I don't think we deserve that. But I think that God allowed that to happen for a special reason because I was trying to take care of our own needs through my own effort. And look how hard I had to work to do that for six months versus trusting in the Lord and then finding that he had a different solution that I hadn't even thought of that involves the community working together and helping each other. Yeah? So um, I just want to throw that out there for you to think about because it might be that you, like me, are spinning your wheels and running on a hamster wheel and trying to do everything for yourself, not just financially, but maybe there's some problem in life that you're dealing with that you're trying to solve by yourself. Here's a whole community of people who could help you work through that issue. Not necessarily just telling you what to do, but like me and my wife, you know, just listening and being able to empower you to find a solution that the Holy Spirit might be whispering to you. So, um, you know, I just want to conclude and um, note that everybody needs a hug sometimes. I've seen videos on the interwebs uh, where a young college guy will be holding a sign out in public that says free hugs. Have you guys seen these before? College guy will be standing out in the public square, sign that says free hugs. And you'll just see as a the hidden camera will show people walking along on their boring old day. They see that sign. They brighten up. They go over and give this guy a hug. They take selfies with him. And then they walk off smiling and their day is better because they got a free hug. And it's just interesting to me. People are so starved for human connection that they will be happy to hug a total stranger and take a selfie with him just because they, they, they feel good about that. Now, I've also seen a similar video where a very clever and very uh, sullen teenage boy has held up a sign that says free shrugs. And so people will look at the free shrugs sign, and when they look at it and look kind of puzzled, he just shrugs, and then he turns away. Somebody else looks at his sign, shrugs, turns away. And so I want to ask you and me, when we present ourselves to the community, are we saying free hugs, come on in, you belong with us. Join our community. Free hugs. Or do we look at our community and we say, free shrugs. We don't care. Come if you want to. <laughs> I don't know. So um, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage all of us. Make yourself vulnerable to other people. Be willing to share your weaknesses so they can feel comfortable with you. Open your arms and be vulnerable. 
Think about others and their weaknesses and their needs and be gentle with them in the struggles that they have in life. Not judgmental, but gentle and comforting and accepting of them into your life. And then when people have been ministered to in this community or in friendship with you, in community with you, be willing to let go of them. Be willing to let them go out into the world and do whatever God has for them to do out there in the world. And consider that a success when they go out from you and uh, achieve the things that God wants them to do. So go out and hug somebody today.